Hello, everybody, and welcome to Book Club. That's right. We jump from one amazing encounter to the next in such a short amount of time. Now, at the moment, Jay Dyer is not with me, but I, I, I'm pretty sure he's going to be on with me tonight. He gave me no indication that he wouldn't. So, But I just wanted to get started in case that uh, you know, it takes a little bit extra time and I don't want to fall too far behind. So uh, we will get started by... Just some general thoughts. Now, I was able to read most of this stuff, I think all of it, uh, over the course of our uh, uh, my break. And we were going to be reading book three and book four. So we ended at book five. That's right. So it's a nice, big, thick, look at that. Look at all that blubber right there. Nice, big, thick chunk of pages. And boy, is this amazing. Now, it starts off... Mario Puzo's The Godfather, chapter 14, which for me is page 183. This is the beginning. This is what we get for the second film. Now, in Godfather 2 is when we get these flashbacks to uh, to Sicily. Or we haven't gotten that. I don't know how far. It, we, it probably goes there. But the flashbacks to Don Vito becoming Don Vito how he got to the to New York, how he got his name, and and a lot of things, like I said in, in the, the show tonight, to, to read this and then go and watch the movie and understand that what is going on in between the scenes that you never know. You know, Jenko, you know about Jenko olive oil if you watch the movie. If you never read the book, you don't really know anything beyond the fact that Oh, well, um, the Don, he was a partner in an olive oil company in New York, and knowing, you know, mafia movies and all that stuff, it was probably a front for something else, when actually it was pretty legitimate business. Well, I mean, they, there's a little bit of strong arming get going on over here to be able to expand Jenko olive oil. Uh, he, they even, um, it, they even admit in the writing in this chapter that there was nothing really about Jenko's olive oil that was better than any other olive oil on the market, but they had the muscle to be able to put other people out of business. But here we have on chapter in chapter 14, the second film, I'm just going to go to some of my highlights. I love here that to get out of Sicily, because of course his father was killed by a local mafia chieftain, and they wanted to kill Vito, Vito as well because he was 12 years old and they knew that soon he would be a man and he would come for revenge. So he fled. We get more of that, of course, in, in uh, the second movie. I can't wait to watch the first two movies with you guys. Uh, there he was boarded with the Abandandos, whose son Jenko was later to become consigliere to, uh, to the Don. Now, to know that, to know that already is incredible because it's like, okay, well, now you, now you understand where Janko came from. They came over together. That's where that, 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 was, uh, that bond was formed. Young Vito went to work in the Abandando grocery store, 9th Avenue in New York's Hell's Kitchen. That's another thing that makes it so amazing. In the movie, you see that he's working in a grocery store with a guy that you, now you understand he, it was Janko. You understand that this is why they are so close. You don't really get too much. And and so when he has to be let go from the grocery store to make room for a uh, a a friend of Fanucci, who is the black hand who's always dressed in white, that's an incredible thing right there. It just it adds more to it. 
So I love those little things. Of course, it's all about character. It's all about honor and stuff like that with uh, with the Don. The offer here, Janko said that he would take food from the grocery to supply his friend's needs. He was so upset that, that Vito lost his job there, and he says, no, he wouldn't do it. The offer, though, was sternly refused by Vito as too shameful, a son stealing from his father, because Janko was willing to take from his father's shop. Um, then we get the uh, the meeting of Peter Clemenza, and we get to see how he met Clemenza, Tessio, a little bit more on their backstory. Uh, Tessio being the the smarter one of the two, Clemenza a lot more um, a lot more ruthless. But uh, we have this um, we have this exchange. You see, the Vito is living in his tenement apartment with his wife, and Clemenza is calling for him from across the alleyway. Uh, you know, neighbors, you know, you see somebody on the other, the opposite side of the alleyway, you throw each other a bag of sugar, and you, you that's how, you know, those old things. Well, this time, Clemenza is throwing Vito a bag of guns. And he's having some kind of an, uh, some kind of a situation with the police. From there, Clemenza comes in and, uh, and, and reclaims all those firearms and, and to repay Vito, he says, you know what? I've got a really great rug I'd like to do for you. I'd like to give you this rug. I think it would be nice in this space over here. And that's when they go on their first job together. Although Vito doesn't know it's a job. He thinks it's a, a rug that Clemenza owns that he's picking up and he's going to gift to Vito. Little does he know that he's going with Clemenza to steal it from a house of a well-to-do couple. And Clemenza was ready to pop a uh, cap in a officer's head to be able to grab it incredible right there so all of a sudden he starts uh starts getting the lay of the land is what's going on in the neighborhood now uh let me see here vito corleone sat with his two friends and drank wine he had never used his intelligence before this is what this is where i really loved what he's starting to talk about he's starting to talk about what was going on with finucci how was he going to be able to overpower him and i love this part right here Vito sat with his two friends, that's Tessio and Clemenza. He had never used his intelligence before as he was using it now. He was surprised at how clearly he could think. He recalled everything he knew about Finucci. He remembered the day the man had his throat cut and run down the street holding his fedora under his chin to catch the dripping blood. He remembered the murder of the man who had wielded the knife and the other two having their sentences removed by paying an indemnity. And suddenly he was sure that Finucci had no great connections. And could possibly uh, that he did, uh, could not possibly have, not a man who was informed, not a man who informed to the police, not a man who allowed his vengeance to be bought off. A real mafioso chief would have had the other two men killed also. So, of course, the the deducing of these things is just great, and you see how cunning and and just clear-headed that Vito is. Uh, it was that from experience. It was from this experience came his oft-repeated belief that every man was but one has one destiny. Um, on that night, he could have paid Finucci the tribute and have come again, uh, become again a grocery clerk with perhaps his own grocery store in the years to come. But destiny had decided that he was to become a Don, and that had brought Finucci to him to set him on his destined path. So let me bring in uh, Jay Dyer. Um, and we're going to just jump right in. Now, Jay, welcome to the show, man. Hey, what's up? <clears throat> so I'm just going through a little bit of my notes here and, and, and the highlights of what's going on. And I'm glad that you showed up right at this moment because what I was just starting to touch on was Don Vito's um, outlook on destiny and how 
he was in, in plotting in plotting how he was going to deal with Finucci, uh, along with Clemenza and Tessio, he realized that this was, you know, part of his destiny. He, he was not meant to pay Finucci his little tribute and then go back to being a grocery clerk. That destiny had actually put Finucci in his life so that he could kill him and start growing from there. And, um, a lot of great backstory to that, but uh, what did you pick up around this around this time? Destiny, the making of Don Vito back in the uh, the early 20th century in New York. Uh, what stood out to you? It reminded me of some of the stories that you read uh, in books like the history of <clears throat> the Gambino family with uh, with Carlo and these uh, you know challenges that they would meet uh, in their rise to power. Um, there's a lot of similar tales in that book that that, that discuss uh, <clears throat> things that I felt like were probably what played into um, the combination character of the Don's origin story. So we're we're getting his origin story. We're learning how he came to be uh, a made man. And if you remember in the movie, this is you know Robert De Niro plays the young uh, Don Corleone or Vito at this point. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. You know, it begins with uh, the petty crime. It begins with stealing what the the rug, um, and we're finding out what kind of a of a man, what kind of caliber Don Corleone is. And we can already see early on that he has the caliber to be this master strategist uh, that he will later be presented as uh, in the section that we did tonight, where it gets to the point where he's basically. I mean, we're seeing the the inklings of him being a major uh, player, you know, in the sense of eventually he he's compared uh, to a kind of an intelligence operator or a small nation state. He's compared to having a kingdom. Anyway, it's all present in this early phases of the decisions that he's making here. Uh, that will set him on the course that will determine his destiny, like you said. Yeah, and and I, I really uh, love how they go deeper into the experiences he's having with just people in the neighborhood, how he goes to the aid of little old ladies and their dogs, to, to which is honestly in Godfather 2, which is I, as I opened up here, that the beginning of book three is really the source material for Godfather 2, as you yeah. know. Um, but in Godfather 2, as far as the acting goes, the, these are incredibly acted scenes, and uh, just like I had said with you, I think in session one, the same effect that happened to me in wa- having been, you know, an avid watcher of Game of Thrones and also reading the books along the way, things were cast and acted so well that uh, it's coming to life in my head, and it's only making both the reading and the viewing experiences that much more enriched. Um, I love the 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 backstory that we're getting. There's so much more about Jenko and the Abandandos. I love the idea here that it, which is consistent with history of organized crime in this country. That by the time that prohibition ended, that uh, Vito Corleone had become Godfather, the Don Don Corleone, because of course prohibition made kings out of many men. Uh, especially on the East Coast and in Chicago and all that. So it's wonderful that there is just really so much history here that has been turned into a wonderfully uh, strewn narrative for the the reader. Um, But there you go. Again, he prospered. But this is on page 201 in my book. Uh, And he piled up good deeds as a banker piles up securities. 
And that was the one thing right there. Now, you can say, was that all selfish? I don't think it was all selfish. Obviously, he's he knows he's working with some kind of destiny, some kind of karma there. But on the uh, on the flip side, piling up the good deeds means that good deeds come in, in return. So uh, his business is in not just gambling and alcohol and olive oil, but it's also very spiritual and karmic. It is, and it's also a kind of a, a debt payment system, uh, very reminiscent of what you might think of, at least in the popular conceptions of the Roman Catholic view of indulgences and paying off debts and merits and all of that. Um, I'm not saying that it's that that simple. It's, I know it's more nuanced than that in Catholic theology, but at a practical level, most sort of you know, the average sort of village Catholic person would understand it and see it that way as a lot of payments and debts. Hmm. So the same way that you would pay off your debts and, you know, do your penance to pay off your temporal debts and all that through confession and through praying the rosary, you pay these debts and it's a give and take system with the Godfather as well. And so I think that Don Corleone is learning as he's, as he's coming to power here, as he's we're learning his origin story. He's learning that same model, as you mentioned earlier, of playing the role of a, a sort of an alternate God figure, an alternate father God um, who, you know, bargains with you. Uh, you can't get, if you can't get what you need from the normal uh, father <laughs> route, then you go to your Godfather and he exacts a price from you. And that's the thing with these favors is that these favors get called in. And then we're going to see this, um, a war is going to kick off and there's going to be a lot of battles uh in this in this next several hundred in this in this next hundred pages a lot of that reminded me of what was real history as well because there was a real <clears throat> battle before the uh first family meeting in 1931 and they organized the Cosa nostra there in 1931 with the setup that we see that's echoed here in the novel where you I, have i was going to ask you yep. about this is that, that was on page the next page is mm -hmm. where it, describing how don vito organized the uh the the, the family a hierarchy and the structure the capital regimes and yep. uh so i was going to one i was wondering what you thought about that well uh if we if you go to the the davis book he says really i'll read briefly here Cosa Nostra, <clears throat> speaking in Italian and Sicilian, the occasional bits of Latin were thrown in, and here Maranzano defined a new order in the underworld. It was to become into existence as Cosa Nostra, or our thing. Maranzano explained that Cosa Nostra would be organized along the lines of Julius Caesar's Roman legions. Cosa Nostra is divided into well-defined families with jurisdictions over specific territories or businesses. Each family would be ruled by a boss, who would have absolute authority D directly beneath him would be underboss under underneath him would be the capo regime or the captains who would serve the individual crews of the soldiers salvatore maranzano would function as the supreme boss the capi de tutti di capi capo de tutti di, di capi yeah. the boss of all bosses and the tributes would all go up to him so it's an actual kind of a pyramid system with uh, with this first family setup uh, that the Moranzanos had set up in New York in the underworld with Bonanno, Moranzano, Profaci, Magano, Gambino. And then you're going to get the next phase, which is the triumph of uh, Lucky Luciano. So I think that this move where 
uh, we see the dawn and everybody begin to purge things and reorganize things, it's, it's either this first mafia war or it's also combined with the second mafia war um, where Lucky Luciano reorganizes everything and gets rid of the mustache Pete's because they, they keep referring to Don Corleone as, you know, the mustache Pete and he's the old generation and we're tired of these mustache Pete's. And uh, according to a lot of other books that I have on this topic, they argue that um, it was actually Meyer Lansky and uh, Lucky Luciano is the Jewish mafia that helped Lucky actually organize the structure for the second wave uh, in when Lucky Luciano took over. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, yes. And, 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 and what we're talking about right here, this is, nine, I believe this is nine, the 1933 war. Okay. Uh, oh well, yeah, no, and I'm saying, and that's one. That one comes next. What is that? Is that? Uh, oh, you're well, talking, about, you're talking so about in the the in the. This says that Lucky Luciano was now in control of Costa Nostra by 1930. I think this is 31. It says that okay. he swiftly purged the mustache peats, and by that time it was over. Manzano loyalists had all been killed. Lucky Luciano called for peace and a new deal between all of the families. The purge then uh, reorganized everything, basically with a. Here's what he says: Lu Luciano created a national crime syndicate that embraced not just the Italian families, but now also Jewish and Irish members as associates. This allowed Luciano to control the Siegel-Lansky gang as a valuable ally of Cosa Nostra. The five families that were formed by Maranzano remained the same, but Luciano insisted on new innovations. He added the position of consigliere. And the family's hierarchy consisted of established 12-member groups called the Commission, mm -hmm. which we're going to see that coming, I think, in the, in the novel. Um, but so they're kind of, you know, just pulling from different elements in history. Yeah, but. I, I don't think they actually they actually mention Luciano in here, but of course they 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 pay reference to the Maranzano hit and how they isolated him. This is a, this is an incredible part because again, it gives you more depth to a character that. You're given enough in the movie to be fearful of and to know that he's a real deal. Yeah. But Luca Brazzi, how he deals with the 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 two Capone men to tell Capone in Chicago yeah, to stay. Yeah, he humiliates the Capone. Holy basically. shit! Look at this. Listen to this. The two Capone men were bound hand and foot. Small bath towels are stuffed into their mouths to keep them from crying out. Then Brazzi took an axe from its place against the wall and started hacking at one of the Capone men. He chopped off the man's feet. Then his legs at the knees, then the thighs where they joined the torso. Brazzi, an extremely powerful man, but it took him many swings to accomplish this purpose. By that time, of course, the victim had given up the ghost, and the floor of the warehouse was slippery with the hacked fragments of his flesh and the gouting of his blood. Then Brazzi took it to turn to the second victim, who was already dead because he had swallowed the towel that was gagging him and pretty much suffocated himself. I mean, that that's the stuff. But Luca Brazzi in the movie, he takes this gentle giant approach. You you figure he's done some things to earn his stripes, but jeez Louise, this is it's it's really tremendous. I love the battlefield strategy that is uh, laid out uh, also in this uh, about the Capones and how they went and and took up Harlem and uh, they reengaged their enemies and there's a lot here. Um, uh, w w what's more, what's this here? Stud Sunny. Refused to answer the Don. Oh, this is when, this is when Don. Uh, 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 we we learn that um, Don Vito knows that Sonny actually saw him kill Finucci 
which you never get any of that in the in the uh, the movie, and you get mm-hmm. this here. So that's an incredible thing. At that point, he knows. Well, what am I going to do? Preach to my son about morals when he's seen me kill a man. Um, so it's just incredible little stuff here. Yeah, I remember the the section too about the dawn knowing that uh, one could make money um, during prohibition and then also during the war. Uh, those were also things that really happened where during prohibition the gangster made a lot of money by obviously running alcohol and they didn't actually want it to be legalized and if anybody goes to hot springs arkansas i highly recommend taking the uh mafia tour that they do there it's really informative there's a lot of history in it and you actually see the uh how they were running the alcohol from chicago down to hot springs arkansas because before vegas hot springs was actually where the mafia would go to meet Mm. because they had the baths there there's these hot spring baths and that's a perfect place to meet because you you go in basically with no guns so you're in there in your underwear basically so it's a great place to meet and have conversations at the baths and they used to have casinos there and they used to have all these you know fancy hotels and there's one there's like the bunch of places where al capone used to hang out down there um and then what you learn is that it was actually uh once alcohol was legalized they decided it was time to move into another element which for a lot of the uh, mobsters at hot springs it became uh, gambling so mm-hmm. they moved their uh office of they, they moved <clears throat> they moved to vegas is what i'm trying to say when vegas started uh, getting popular and that was meyer lansky and bugsy siegel's idea to build up vegas and uh by the way if you've never seen the movie bugsy i recommend it's pretty good have you seen that no i haven't actually you should yeah watch bugsy it's uh um i forget that guy the guy that used to be married to madonna uh i forget his name but Bugsy's a good movie and it's about the rise of Vegas and he, you know he has this idea and he's like hey you know we can make all this money out here because that's where this book is actually going to begin to move towards when it I mean the, the ending of this book is going to be when they head out to Vegas and try to establish themselves as legitimate uh in Vegas I anyway got, all that's real is what I'm trying to say you yeah, know I got to check it out and I, and I, I love and there's certain things um I ha- I have a lot of books on the uh, the five families I've got to read I have a whole segment on my personal library I haven't touched yet on this, and maybe I'll spend a good amount of the, the winter doing it before next year starts, but um, I, I love how a lot of that is, whatever I do know, is woven into this really nicely. They sw- swapped out some names for characters that were created for the book. Um, uh, and the Emergence of Sonny from 19, I don't know, the late 30s, where he and Luca Brazzi are taking out Irish gangs wholesale yeah. by themselves. That, that, that's that been pretty great. Uh, they talk about uh, just to move this along a little bit, M- Michael coming back home from uh, yep. from the war, um, and then Vito once again, everybody talking about how well he did for himself. This country's been good to me. Uh, uh, Michael said once, he says, I've been good to him, said uh, said Vito. Again, kind of just baffled that he would uh, he would go and serve for... Uh, serve um, the interests of strangers. But, you know, there's a little bit more here there's a little bit more here. I love how they they cleaned up their their community in Long Beach when they moved there. Pretty much crime wherever they go plummets to nothing. And that's one thing I wish that we can just maybe just steal away from the uh, the, the days that the the five families were in business. Yeah, they took point, yeah. they they took each other <laughs> out. They took each other out sometimes when they misbehaved, but civilians, man oh man, was life pretty peaceful. And now going on from there, 
Going on from there, we get a, a really you know brutal uh, look into the kind of life that Connie uh, Confalone, uh, Connie Confalone, uh, <laughs> Connie is living with Carlo, and uh, she's she's often beaten. The parents don't do anything. Uh, you can tell that this guy is uh, he he felt a little bit safe in that respect, but he felt safe until Sonny came and beat the hell out of him. Um, you can see there that there's a little bit more. There's a guy, uh, Carlos, the guy who cannot be trusted. He doesn't like the family. He thought that it was going to be an in to mooch off of them, and he's not getting the um, he's not getting the comeuppance that he thought he deserved. Uh, anyway, Connie is getting the, the worst of it, and, of course, that becomes the staging ground for killing Sonny. Um, I love how... How Puzo, as a writer, gives us the reverse a little bit. All of a sudden, there's a call, Amerigo uh, Bonacera, and you get to see a little bit of his life, a very, very well-kempt guy, uh, very... very strict in the way that he runs his life and his business, and then he gets a call from Tom Hagen. And if you're reading this for the for the first time uh, in the late '60s, and this comes out, and you don't know where the hell it's all going, you must have gasped when you realized that the Don was showing up with with uh, uh, with Sonny, who had been well, yeah. And, and no, notice that Sonny has continued to fail in his tests, right? So the Don had given him that test with the con men. Uh, what would he do with the local con men that were trying to what fix the furnace and they were scamming him? Yep. The Don knew they were scamming him, and so he went and gave Sonny this as a test, and Sonny fails it because he basically he, he's too heavy-handed in every one of these incidents, and that heavy-handedness leads Sonny to his death because he's so uh, ready to beat up. Uh, What's his name? Carlo. Carlo Rizzi. Yeah. He's so ready to beat to beat the crap out of Carlo again for the second time that this causes him to be careless and the other families had waited until there was a time of lull they let they let sunny be lulled into thinking that everything was safe everything had died down now but <clears throat> this probably wouldn't have even happened had not sunny been so ruthless in continuing to kill anybody that opposed him even all these people who weren't even that close to the families they were just uh you know racket people dock workers bookies sonny just killed everybody and the other families were getting sick of this <clears throat> and so that leads to uh again this rashness that we'd already seen with sonny all along we, we saw this coming like a train wreck the whole time yeah because of his continued failures but one other couple other things i wanted to, to mention real quick was um we saw again the question of, of uh, the loyalty to the Don uh, because of the war and the draft and be wanting to go into the military, and the Don was mad about that. And that, this part's a little. This is one my one criticism of the book because and maybe Mario Puzo didn't actually know this because this was written in 1969. And if you stop and think about it, I mean, this is way ahead of its time. A lot of revelation of the method is coming out in this book. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of truth that Big people time. didn't know it. They, they had no idea about this stuff in 1969. This was still during the time when, I mean, there have been gangster movies, but I mean, this is really revealing a lot. One thing it doesn't really reveal is the cooperation between the OSS, uh, naval intelligence, and various uh, key family mobster figures. Vito Genovese especially worked very closely with uh, naval intelligence lucky luciano worked together with uh intelligence apparatus uh in, in the west in the u.s oss cia 
and elsewhere for uh, heroin, mm-hmm. trafficking heroin. So a lot of that's kind of like glossed over or not mentioned. We do have a few mentions of the Don rising, the power rivaling. I mean, it even says that he was more successful than anything the Pope had achieved, right? And what he had brought together in terms of the uh, families in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Cleveland, all connected to the five families in New York, right? He had he had achieved a lot. And we'd had these statements earlier about Tom Hagen having, you know, high-level connections. But we don't have any real inklings of the intelligence apparatus, which was, through Operation Underworld, very closely connected to the Mafia. So... Um, that's my one criticism, but perhaps that was a little too much for Mario to reveal. Perhaps nobody knew about Operation Underworld in the media or at his level back in 1969. So I'll cut in some slack because there is a lot of revelation in this book. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, who knows? I, I, maybe that's just something he did find out that he just chose to leave out. Maybe it would muddy, it would muddy the the storyline. It would just make it too big. Um, or, yes, or, or or maybe maybe he just didn't get an inside look into it. I mean, a lot of this he picked up along the way from the the bouncers and the um and yeah. the, the the pit bosses that he was meeting in Vegas all those years, going out there collecting stories uh, while he was gambling. Um, so you you just you just don't know. Uh, maybe he didn't did know it all. Then again, I haven't read anything beyond um this book. There's two more after this that I'm going to read of his. So and, and obviously something had to come. Something had to become the source material for what he uh, what he knew well, would be the the third, the third. You know, story. in the third book, he includes all the P two Gladio stuff and the assassination of Pope John Paul the uh, first, Roberto yep. Calvi being hung underneath the Blackfriars Bridge yep. and a ritual murder. All of that's included in the the screenplay of Part Three. It even mentions P two Mafia in the in in the screenplay. So, and if I recall, he did write the screenplay for part three. Yeah, uh, for people, in the ch- uh, for Kate Nagel in the chat room said, uh, well, because I had, they were talking about uh, uh, Talia, Talia Shire, and I said that Coppola got a lot of, uh, got a lot of shit for casting Talia, but she, I, I think she ended up being really, really amazing in it. Um, and of course, he got a lot of shit because Talia Shire's his, his sister, and you know, people scream nepotism and all that stuff, but I think she did well. Um, anywho, uh, let's see here. I mean, and you know, there's a lot of problems, a lot of problems with Godfather three. It could have been really great. And it's, I mean, it's really just, it falls flat. There's a lot of great things, but a lot of it falls flat starting with Robert Duvall, not coming back, but, um, I don't know. Anyway, let's go to now. So we we go into uh, chapter fifteen. That's where we get a little bit more about uh, the 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 um, K. K is getting called out there. She's uh, investigators are going up to New Hampshire to see if they know anything about Michael. They suspect that he killed two men in New York. She doesn't know. It doesn't sound like him though. Um, and then of course she goes down to New York to try to talk to Tom and see what's going on. She has a really nice, warm, as warm as you'd get um, uh, interaction with Michael's mother. And where she's and Michael's much, mother says, go find another boyfriend. Yeah, he's not, he's not the one for you. He, not he, the he, one for you. You have to go. Yeah, but she fed her first, which is very nice. Um, but it's a, you know, it's a long trip from Long Island to New Hampshire, but still, she's kind of like, that's where you are. And you know what the other thing I love about this, Jay? Uh, we are... 
we read chap we read book three and four for this assigned reading the last week and there's no say we know that maybe in in book five perhaps we hear from michael again i love that even for the reader they have kept him squirreled away somewhere you don't know where the hell he is yet uh, mm-hmm. i i like i yeah. like that just as a um from a writing standpoint um but here we have it we get a little bit of k she comes tries to get a little bit of information where's michael and then of course they can't tell him uh they can't tell her what's going on carlo rizzi he's a punk he's sore at the world he was given a um he was giving a a, a small gambling operation to see how he works out and he gets everything wrong six thousand dollar errors here and there and he's a real big problem of obviously violent and untrustworthy um but then here he goes. The war of 1947 between Corleone and the five families combined against them proved to be expensive for both sides. It's exactly what you were talking about in the last session, Jay, about how uh, this was uh, one of those moves where who was better suited to last out the siege? And at this point, we're seeing Tom Hagen is doing a good job working with their contacts in the media to really expose McCluskey. And I, around for me, for page around 236 for me, uh, I, I like the I like how Puzo really talks about the the acceptable nature versus the unacceptable nature of being a officer on the take. It's one thing to look the other way for a little bit of Shylocking, a little bit of. Uh, a little bit of gambling, this and that, but when when you start talking about being an accessory to murder, things like that, um, uh, the, things are starting to loosen up a little bit for the Corleones, and they can do business again because uh, the way that they work the media about McCluskey and all of his dealings with Salazzo is um, is starting to have the effect that Michael said it would. So there's that. Anything you got? Yeah. Um... Wait, hold on. So we that was I, I, that was like chapter seventeen. I was in. So there. you're at the war, and uh, is this this is where? Yeah. So they basically they handed over the numbers racket to the blacks, which is interesting because that was that was actually true in history too. Uh, if you watch, there's a really good video on YouTube on the history of uh, um, Paul uh, uh, Costello. And he's the one that, when he went to jail, he would teach the black gangsters, or he learned from the black gangsters the numbers racket. And then when he got out, he did the numbers racket. So it's funny that they threw that in there where uh, that was handed over to the black people to run that in Harlem. Um, again, that's also real. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's a, there's a, like all those old A&E series uh, on the history of the mafia. Most of them are on YouTube now. You can watch them. They're really good. Uh, and there's a good one on, um, I think it's the one on, it's not Gambino. I think it's the one on, um, Costello. Uh, I, I had not, Frank Costello. I had not, I haven't seen yeah, it, that's it, but I would love to load up on these videos though. I really would. I gotta go. Anyway, I, I just was thinking out loud there that, that, uh, yeah, that that's pulling from another real history event. I'll pull that up for you. If you want me to put it in the chat for you guys. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. I'd love to put it. And, um, yeah, so basically we're at we're at we're getting at the point of uh, the low point, right? Where we're th- we're starting to think that the they might actually lose, right? They might actually lose this war, um, because even though they're at a stalemate, if we lose Sunny, we're basically you know what are we going to do then, right? It would be a huge hit 
to the Corleone because even though Sonny is out of he's a loose cannon he's still at least some kind of a force of of nature a force of power that's there and if we lose Sonny uh you know the Don's going to be in the position of what am I going to do now right then we're going to be at that point where obviously Michael's going to step up right but we don't know yet that Michael's going to step up so we we might be at a point where when we get this hit on Sonny, I mean, it, it it looks like the Don might might suffer what he just did because we saw the Don move in on and take over previous uh, families, right? That was how he rose to power, or or not families, but other other syndicates, right? He he made moves to take over other syndicates and basically um, made them pay tributes, kind of like the Romans would do. So he's doing this Roman model, right? Yes. And now we're thinking, uh-oh, the five families might move in and make the Corleone family be the tributes to the five families they might lose um, because, you know, if Sonny's gone, I mean, Sonny was the, he was the firstborn. He was the chosen chosen one, but he just, can't, he can't do it. He's not cut out for it with that temper. So no, he wasn't. somebody else is going to have to fill the void. Someone's going to have to fill the void. And man, we're getting set up for some really nice fireworks here. That's really how it ends because the ending is, of course, um, uh, the Don going to cash in. You know, uh, uh, Bonacera is scared out of his mind of what he's about to be uh, asked to do. He does not know that he that Sonny is going to show up bullet riddled, riddled and um, and and no matter what, he didn't want to be tied to the murder at all. He didn't want to be killed by those who killed Sonny. But um, a little bit of humility here. I love you can see the cracks of emotion coming in and out of uh, the from from the Don, and that's where we are right now. He he wanted no inquiries to be made, no acts of vengeance. He wanted to uh to make sure that Sonny was buried a Christian burial and and that they move on from there. Now, what comes next? What comes next if I were to guess is of course getting everybody together. Uh the five families and of course invitations sent out to the families across the nation, Kansas City, Los Angeles, things like that. They'll probably come in, talk and um yeah, we'll see what happens from there. I don't want to give anything away, but let's get into the thread now and see what pops up along the way for there. We got we're making good time once again. First one up is from Robert Solorio. Says there's something Puzo un- underplays Michael's military life. Jay said Michael is starting a, is starting a war. You quoted, "I'm coming all day." I hang out. Uh, I, I hang out at a local brewery where there's a Vietnam War army grunt. Now uh, uh, saw a, a lot of action. Later, he lost his lower leg in a motorcycle accident. There's a Marine artillery vet, saw action in Somalia, and a Navy SEAL who was at the bunker killings in Lebanon became a sniper. He reads everything from Hindu uh, writings to war and peace. When Puzo says Michael's, quote, legs have gone weak from trembling, end quote, I can't help but think that these men and that they need to feel what they need to feel for that adrenaline rush to still hit to these days. These men are well armed and ready for anything. That's Michael. Um, NJSF responds to that. It says, that's a great insight in a very subtle way. Michael's path is one of the command in chief that rises through the ranks just as Vito was. Sonny, on the other hand, would be more of a natural heir, somewhat of a critique on the hereditary versus uh, merit- meritocratic power paths. Mm, good point. Um, GDP. Uh, I, think that that's, I think that's the ghost of Daniel Parker. 
says, Vito's killing of Don Fanucci in book three parallels Michael's killing of Salazzo in the previous book. In both cases, it marks each man's first premeditated murder. Even if, it, yeah. even if we assumed Michael killed during the war, those deaths occurred under socially sanctioned conditions where killers are often revered as heroes. Murder, however, especially a law of, uh, of a law enforcement official like the police captain, situates Michael outside of the respectable society. For both Michael and Vito, these acts of cold-blooded murder represented points of no return. Once they commit murder, their fates are sealed as mafiosos. Uh, the murders forever close off any paths back to legitimacy in conventional lives. Killing in this calculated fashion destines them uh, to exist outside of the boundaries of decent society. Furthermore, these murders reveal a calculated ruthlessness in both Vito and Ma Michael. They kill not in self-defense or in passion, but in cold blood to further the interests of their family. The murders are premeditated and strategic. This, uh, this suggests a hardened personality type for both men, where they can detach themselves emotionally from the act of killing and view it simply as a necessary task. The murders show that they have con uh, consciously chosen power and success for the family through criminal means over conforming to moral norms. They, uh, by decisively stepping outside of the boundaries, Vito and Michael display a sharp, ambitious instinct for seizing control and authority by any means necessary. Their first murders announce their presence as rising underworld players who will not flinch at using violence to protect their family honor. It's an initiation, right? Becoming yeah. a made man, making your bones and all this. And then the Omerta explicitly has a quasi-religious uh, initiatory element, right? I mean, Sammy says it's, it's a secret society, right? Mm -hmm. So the secret society requires you in the process of your initiation to undergo not just a ritual, but a, in, a, in a way, a kind of a ritual killing. And so I think that's exactly spot on there. And we have to keep in mind that it has that quasi uh, ritual element to it. Uh, this this form of, it's not random chaotic killing or just a, a thug killing. Like he said, it's a methodical um, warlike. It, it's more like war than it is sort of chaos. Yeah, I mean, and that's a difference between how in this book and, and we know in, in real life as well, when these neighborhoods were largely controlled by this hidden hand uh there was relative peace and stability and there were rules compare that to you know chicago uh th that's that's the chaos you're talking about you're talking about this just animalistic uh violence for violence begetting violence and uh there's there's no there's nobody that's safe from that so uh so they brought order to order out of chaos basically and, and no doubt about it NJSF here we got a, a bunch here to, to to roll on and I think that's the last of this short thread it says I'm enjoying find uh, the finding so many perils of wisdom hidden in this book especially because they are uh, they are there when one least expect them chapter 14 was a wonderful view into the psyche of Vito and how he built his inner circle yes Yes, uh, no doubt about that. Um, I, I loved seeing how the entire thing built up, the the, the core of Tessio and and Clemenza, and then just little things, the incorporation of the legitimate oil business, but even how that was strong armed into um, into major success. Um, 
Let's see here. Uh, his stoicism while observing the rise of Finucci, keeping to himself when it did not concern him directly, but being surprised when his own criticism of Jenko when he lost his job to Finucci's nephew, when the, uh, when the decision ultimately was really Jenko's father. I found fascinating his clear-cut example of the impact of laying blame into someone to cause shame and prompt some action. Uh, seems like the earliest lesson for Vito of some sort of manipulation that he could do. However, he quickly got over that stage of blaming Jenko, and while feeling anger, he definitely had desire to settle the matter with Finucci himself to take matters into his own hands. Um, the circumstances under which Vito's team is assembled continue with his run in with Clemenza and his prompt hiding of the stash of guns. Also, what to say with the nice suspense scene at the theft of the rug. I love that, yeah. A, a lot of good, th there's a lot of good suspense in the movie too. All this translates very, very well. The way Puzo weaves the transformation of Vito into a criminal and then a godfather is delicious in details. The way that he solves the situation with tribute to Finucci is brilliant. In one move, he takes ownership of the problem at the same time gaining unending loyalty for his inner team, Janko, Clemenza, and Tessio. Uh, the chapter can be summed up in this quote. But great men are not born great, they grow great, and so it was with Vito Corleone. There's more here, Jay, but anything you want to add to that? Um, I would just add that it's not letting me put it in the chat because it's a link, but there's a playlist that has all of these episodes of the A&E show that I'm talking about, which was, there's there's a bunch of them that are on YouTube. So I, I, I sent you the link if you want to watch them. It's a whole playlist of like 35 episodes of the history of the mafia, if you want it. Well, you know what? Send it to me in Twitter. and what I I'll do, what, Okay, great. What I'll do is I'll add that to the thread over here. Because the threads will be here in perpetuity, and and uh, therefore people will be able to go in there and see what you're talking about. Yeah, it's a good playlist. Go ahead. Okay, here's another one. One aspect uh, that was clear, very interesting to me, was the quiet strength and love of Vito's wife. She's not only accepted who Vito had become, but fully embraced it. It is clearly on display in the episode with Mrs. Cor Mrs. Columbo and the landlord, grappling with an eviction because of a dog, which starts with an introduction by the Don's wife. And in this episode, yet another brick in the quirky morality of the Don is layered, as it is an in interception made of the good and growth of the Godfather legend and persona. Yes, that's what I'm saying here, that he, at this point, is stacking up good deeds. Like he said, that he has stacked up good deeds like a banker would stack up, you know, uh, anything else. And this is, you know, the morality. It is a quirky sense of morality, but uh, it is... It's the only thing that holds it all together because what what does Sonny lack? Quiet of mind and morality. There is uh, there is just the uh, the wrath there, and this is what allows him to to be uh, insurmountable as far as being a foe goes. On the Don's philosophy, here's a quote. The Don considered a use of threats the most foolish kind of exposure, the unleashing of anger without forethought as the most dangerous indulgence. No one had ever heard the Don utter a naked threat. No one had ever seen him in an uncontrollable rage. He claimed that there was no greater natural advantage in life than having an enemy overestimate your faults unless it was to have a friend underestimate your virtues. Hmm. Great shit. That's just just that's just great. Um, quite the opposite from Sonny, which falls precisely due to his hot headedness. Absolutely yes. Now moving on to another segment here. 
Nothing really escaped knowledge of Mrs. Corleone, which uh, which also knew uh, knew very well how to calm and, st- uh, and strong and influence her way through things. Truly a great woman behind a great man. Uh, some episodes that show this are when Kay visited her. She advised her to forget Michael. And more poignantly, when Don Corleone appeared already dressed to Hagen the night of Sonny's murder, saying, my wife was weeping before she fell asleep, Don Corleone said. Yeah. A lot. Uh, also, a nugget of wisdom from her. So a lot of Mrs. Corleone here. I, I like that NJSF uh, compiled notes on her. Quote, Impassively, she boiled her coffee and set the table with food. In her experience, pain and fear did not dull physical hunger. In her experience, the taking of food dulled the pain. Yes. Well, there's, I mean, there's a lot of emotional eaters in Italian families, I'll tell you that. Uh, emotional cookers as well. But you, when you find something, there's just that thing. What are you putting yourself into? The uh, the routine of being a human being and dealing with loss, What what is it? Everybody has their... Everybody has their thing. Uh, what was Johnny Fontaine dulling his pain with? You know, uh, I you would say that cooking a Booze dish. and sex. Oh, yeah. It's a little bit more there for Mrs. Corleone to, to, to boil some coffee and set the, to, set the food for table. So uh, what else we have? Uh, chapter 17. Describing the general state of the war between the Corleone and other families, a couple of passages jumped out at me. A red line of morality of even the corrupt cops that I think may be a strong thing of the past. Or uh, said the police force got the word from the informers through police on the family payroll that McCluskey had been a rogue cop, not that he had taken money or a clean graft. See, that's the whole thing. I love the, the distinction between a clean graft and something else. There was no rank and file onus to that, but that he had taken the dirtiest of dirty money, murder and drugs. In the morality of policemen, this was unforgivable. And that, that, preci- that again, precisely what Michael had foreseen. If they can, they can just do what had to be done, it's going to be sticky for a little bit. But with our contacts in, in the, the press, perhaps we can start loosening the leash. And it started happening. Uh, let's see here. Last, to, to end here, here's a couple more wisdom gems from Puzo. Pain and terror were not so final as death, as he well knew. His work made him an optimist. That was, I think, on uh, uh, Bonacera. Uh, he had been so grateful seeing the bloody faces of those two ruffians who had been done anything for the Don, but time erodes gratitude more quickly than it does beauty. Uh, you know, and, and that's another thing there. I love being able to express that through um, through prose in, in that way, where, yeah, uh, at, at that time, you give anything to have something done or to experience something, and uh, when passion overtakes you, uh, you will bargain with far more than you would be comfortable giving once that cool-headedness takes over you. And for a, a moment there, Bonacera didn't know just what kind of a price he was going to have to pay. Um, and there you have it. Uh, last one, a quick and proper response to the Don Sonny's death was amazing to read. Strong, correct, yet loving and compassionate, and with hints of retribution. Here's a quote. Our family will cease all business operations and cease to protect any of our business operations until after my son's funeral. Then we will meet here again to decide what must be done. Tonight we will do what can be done for Santino. We must bury him as a Christian. And the for- In the morning, I want con- uh, uh, Constanza with her mother. That's Connie. 
make arrangements for her and her husband to live in the mall, have Sandra's friend, the women, to go to the house, stay with her. My wife will go there also. So getting all the women together, circling the wagons, and, um, and trying to put an end to this. And that's really where we're set up for with book five. Now, Jay, if you uh, whatever you have, go right ahead, and I'd love to assign some reading for the next session. And my last thought would just be that it's interesting towards the end of uh, four there, he says, I've spoken with her. My wife will tell her the misfortune. The women will arrange for the church to say their masses and prayers for his soul. So the dawn isn't part of the church. The church is associated with womanish things, right? It's feminine. He's the godfather. He's not involved in the church's realm. And so I just thought that was an interesting contrast. It is. Again, he's a godlike figure, but he sees the, because he had made that comment to, I think, Johnny Fontaine earlier on, right? He said that women are not fit to run this world. Men run this world and we will go to hell. Women are fit for the next world and they can have heaven, <laughs> right? So it's just, uh, he, he's not interested in the church world. It's interesting. That's, um, that's one hell of a way to live, man. It's crazy. But then again, the, sto- the stoicism even the face that you're you're winning one of those uh you know what what is that um what's that line in the road to perdition between uh between uh Paul Newman and Tom Hanks in the basement of the church he said Michael open your eyes this is the life we chose the life we lead and there's only one guarantee none of us will see heaven and i always get that line stuck in my head when you think about this life that is chosen and you know that that's in the back of your head and why would anybody choose hell for a couple of years of with a nice you know a nice healthy wad of cash in your back pocket why would you choose the eternity of hell and uh, it, it's it's a morbid curious thought because it's not a, an act of fiction this is a real it's the real way of life and some people rationalize it by saying listen uh, we had rules we were soldiers in a war and this was just war um, that you know for the people who are out there killing civilians the chaos in chicago they they uh they rationalize that that was something completely different but in in this life it, you were soldiers in a war so i don't know well, also remember a lot of the uh, uh they were a lot of the mafia were um freemasons and they came out of freemasonry and a lot of them were uh atheists I read an article by a historian a long time ago. It might be this one. I think this is it. And uh, he's just a historian going into the way that the that Freemasonry connected with the mafia via um, Garibaldi, mm. because Garibaldi was a Freemason. So I think a, I think a lot of the mobsters felt like. You know, the church was just another kind of racket. And so, you know, they kind of had an, a, on the down low, they were more atheistic. There's an article on that. That I can see. I obviously, they're always, um, always uh, dressed, dressed in the trappings of, uh, of, of Christian life and the, the crosses and all that stuff. But it's, um, you, you have to imagine that to get into this work, there has to be a lack of real faith. There has to be a lack, uh, or at least a perversion of, of that faith, because it just doesn't it doesn't reconcile. Um, for this is uh, session three. For session four, looks like we are going to be having five sessions. Uh, for session four, we're going from the beginning of book five. Let's go. I counted eighty-eight pages from the beginning of book five 
is page 152. But for me, page 150 is the end of chapter 25. So let's just do book five to the end of chapter 25. In my edition, that is chapter, that is page 350. So um, book five to the end of chapter 25. And that's what we will do for session four next week. Jay, what do you got going on uh, for the rest of this week so people can check out your work? Uh, a lot of interviews on my channel and uh, always hosting Alex Jones the fourth hour on Fridays. Wonderful. What, can you give us a preview of what's going on with Friday, the Friday's broadcast? I, I never plan it. I just kind of do it based on that day. I mean, this uh, this last Friday I did the Israel-Palestine history because that was everywhere in the news. So, yeah. uh, you know, not exactly sure. Week, week, Friday before that I did the history of the drug trade um, and how the intelligence agencies were connected to that. So there's some pretty pretty hefty stuff in the last couple of weeks. Well, I can't wait to listen. It usually pops up for me. I, I don't know. It, it's crazy. I never actually planned to listen to you on on Infowars, but I always oh, well, thanks. I, know, I, I, I I always forget. But I always joking. I know I, I I always tend to put it on I on my talk stream live app, and I'm like, oh shit. Here he is again. It's is great. So I, you know, I don't have to remember. I just get uh, magnetically drawn in. Anyway. Check out Jay Dyer for the rest of the week. We'll see you back here on Monday. Thanks, Jay. Thank you, Frank. Take Have care. Night. Be well. All right, ladies and gents, that's it. Now, I know that my book, my edition, is a little bit uh, different than all of you. I know it's different from Jay's, but um, book five, and that is to the end of chapter 25. So regardless of what page that is for you, that's what it is. Uh, these pages don't help for Kindle. Yes, I understand especially for Kindle, that would be different too. So uh, end of chapter 25 from where we ended, and this is going to get really good. Thank you for everybody in the chat. I know we had about 40-something people watching tonight, and you might be doing this along with people. Uh, with a, You might be doing it as a group, as a couple. Thank you for making this uh, a really, really fun time. I love these book clubs. I'm glad that we started it last year, and, um, and I, it's going to continue to be a staple of this show's culture and this community culture here so 99 everybody be good <laughs>